Hello, thank you for joining us. It's another episode of Friendly Reminder, a podcast. It's your weekly friendly reminder of what's going on around the world, in our lives, and everything in between. My name is Gus, and as always, we have my two dear friends. Daniel, how are you today? Great. Thanks for coming back. (laughs) Yeah, I'm back. Sam, how are you? I'm doing really well. I'm doing really well. Gus, that hosting gig is easy. I don't know what you're talking about. Just kidding. It's Uh, very, very difficult (laughs) 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 to try to to maintain control of people who just want to kind of talk about whatever. (laughs) Tell me about it. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, Well, actually, before we begin, I do want to thank both of you, Sam, Daniel, for holding down the fort uh, these last couple of weeks. Uh, Some great episodes. I also want to say thank you to Eric and Justin for joining us in those episodes. Uh, You're welcome as our guests in the future. Uh, Hopefully this time I'll be here too. But yeah, I just needed to take a quick break, but happy to be back. What what, what did I miss, guys? Anything important? COVID is still a threat. Trump is still president. Did I miss maybe a whole month where the sitting president of the United States refuses to accept defeat and says the election was a complete fraud? And in the meantime, like 90% of the Republican Party either doesn't say anything or says like, yeah, that's perfectly normal stuff. And in the meantime, there's a raging pandemic that's getting worse and worse. And he's not saying the president's not saying anything about it. He keeps going on about the election, which he lost. And in the meantime, the incoming president, Joe Biden, isn't getting the critical intel that he needs for national security purposes. Oh, and he also got injured by playing with his dog. Did I miss I think, all that? I think you may miss that. Let me Google it. Let me Google it to see. <laughs> I think he's saying now if he loses the Electoral College, which he still thinks he's not going to do, then he'll leave the White House, which I, I, I guess is a step up. How does he think that? Like, what? He's lost so many court cases. I don't know if he really thinks it. I think it's just yeah. a PR thing at this point, but. Well, I also think it's a psychological thing, right? Like he's a narcissist. He doesn't know what defeat or he, in, in his mind, he doesn't know what defeat is, even though he's, he's lost before, but he can't process it. Like, I think psychologically speaking, he just can't process what's going on. So he's just coming up with excuses. I don't know. I shouldn't be an armchair psychologist here, but. Either way, he lost. Joe Biden is going to be president of the United States. I actually believe uh, California certified their results, which means that he officially, uh, Joe Biden officially has 270 certified electoral college votes. So he won't be president come January 20th. Yeah, he won again, like for the 40th time (laughs) in this last month. Um, Congratulations. Do they have a projection on the popular vote total so we could know how much he really legitimately won by, which is like 7 million votes at this point, right? Uh, I think it's about to hit 8 million. Um, oh my God, really? Yeah. yeah that's 4.5%. Uh, 4.5%. I think yeah, 8 million. He has, I believe he's about, don't quote me, but I think he's about to hit like 81 million votes um, Jeez, casted for okay. him. Uh, I mean, Trump got a lot too, about 74 million. So did you know that Trump, I think he he's the Republican that's gotten the most votes in California? Really? I mean, he's still that's lost, a, but yeah. That's very <laughs> surprising. I don't know. He also told people he was going to win California. So maybe that spiked his turnout because <laughs> people are dumb enough to believe him. Uh, like one yeah. of the conspiracy theories they found where they found uh, – you know, all the real votes in Germany, the military did in one of the conspiracy theories. 
Uh, turns out Trump won California, uh, which is pretty remarkable. If, which is actually even a bigger conspiracy theory than them just finding the votes in like Germany or whatever after a military raid. Uh, yeah, America. Um, so yeah, let's actually move on to our first topic because you know when when you take some time off, you tend to think about the future, right? You think about tomorrow because it'll it'll soon be here. And I started thinking about life under the Biden administration because he is going to be president come January 20th. And we're going to face a different reality. I think I think a better reality overall, like objectively, at least from our perspective, a better reality, uh, but still a different one. And I think it's safe to say that all of us here, all three of us are to the left of Joe Biden and his policies. Am I correct in, in that assumption? Yes. Uh, Socialist Joe? I don't know. I don't know. He's got a lot yeah. of crazy ideas about... No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, Joe Biden so we... was the conservative shield for Obama. So... <laughs> yeah. So he... Yeah. I mean, I... If... I, I'm kind of glad he won the actual primary... Because if, if it was somebody else, Trump would be president for four more years. That's my thing, making of it. Possibly. I'm, I'm not certain of Bernie Sanders' chances. But regardless, like um, he is not going to be a puppet for Bernie Sanders and the squad as much as we wish that were the case. And the Republicans were actually right about that. Like, that's not going to happen. And, uh, you know, during this transitioning period, he did introduce... Um, quite a bit of cabinet members. I don't think he's a, he's announced his entire cabinet yet, but quite a few of them. Um, and most of them is they they are who you know we thought they were. Like he, there's a lot of former Obama officials that worked in the um, in the Secretary of State uh, or the State Department that worked previously in the Obama administration. Um, Anthony Blinken, for example, is got, was announced as a Secretary of State. John Kerry is going to be the special presidential envoy for climate uh, climate change. Jake Sullivan, uh, a former Obama uh, national security uh, a guy, is going to be Biden's national security advisor. You know, essentially what, what you would expect. On one hand, you do get a lot of experienced people, people who have been in government, who know how government works and believe that government has a role, actually an actual role in, in society. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, it is kind of a set of, you know, your typical neoliberal evangelians. <laughs> it, it is one of those situations where it's like, what are we comparing it to, right? Not that uh, you know, I don't want to do the the whole, uh, oh, well, you know, Trump was a lot worse, so we should let Biden get away with this stuff. But, you know, Trump had a series of, like, weapons industry lobbyists as his defense secretary. Um, he had, like, yeah. the, these people are at least experienced in, in what mm -hmm. they're doing. And they're not, for the most part, although, although we may talk about this and, you know, people have been writing articles about Abe Lincoln. Uh, uh, that's what I like to call him, Abe Lincoln. Uh, so you know he's like an interventionist, or or he has been in the past, and but he's not like. Just a, to clarify, uh, you're you're referring to Anthony Blinken. Yes, I'm referring to uh, Biden cabinet member Abe Lincoln. 
<laughs> Secretary Who of State. Who is a Blinken? That's a that's a deep question, Sam. No, what's the, like a, I don't know. There, I thought there was like a cartoon or like a TV show about some guy named A. Blinken. <laughs> I keep thinking that there was this thing that was there, and I don't know. Anyway, are you thinking about the president Abraham? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, just making sure. Back to your point, Daniel. <laughs> I don't even remember what my point was. No, yeah, he's so he's a neoliberal Evangelion, not a Raytheon lobbyist. <laughs> yeah. I'm going around in circles. I guess what I'm trying to say is maybe we should at least give them a chance <laughs> before we uh, inundate them with uh, accusations that they're going to start a war. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of what I'm alluding to. It, it's sort of that... Uh, the difficulty of of how we're going to feel going forward because you're right like compared to the the Trump administration and the uh, the Trump administration officials this is light years better these are at the very least from what we know and from we know of their history competent people like they know how to do their job whereas the Trump administration was filled with just highly incompetent people all across the board going to the very top um so we're going to see improvements there it's just this, you know, we, we start seeing uh, how how things are going to be different and how we're going to view the, the Biden administration going forward, because now it's from from a left perspective, right? Like there's going to be plenty of things to be, to be critical of. But there's also things where we're probably going to be, I think, at least perhaps myself, a little bit more reserved in, in the way we we criticize and we process the, the Biden administration compared to, to Trump, where, you know, week in and week out, we could do this podcast and we would have four or five things to completely rage about. It was easy. It, it was it just came like it came with the job, like it, the Trump administration made it easy. Trump himself made it easy. And now it's it's a different reality where we're going to have an administration that's probably going to be pretty flawed, at least from our standpoints. But at the same time, we have to view them as the closest ally we've had in the last four years. So I wanted to talk about this because I think, and I wanted to kind of pick you guys' brains, like how do you guys think the left should act going forward? Like if 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 the plan is to get more people to support Medicare for all, um, policies like the defunding the police, which you know Obama had a choice of words to say about that, which if you guys want to cover, we can talk about. But uh, policies uh, like abolishing ICE or, or certain things like that, like can the left go forward with those policies? And it, do they have a leader? Like, is Bernie Sanders still the, the leader? Is it the squad? So one interpretation of this election is that uh, despite doing Despite being blinkered uh, morons, the Republican Party held held on to power to a great extent because people were freaked out by the leftist, the oncoming sort of <laughs> the, the the potential for leftist ideas hitting mainstream. You know, the polite society. Again, this is one interpretation. I don't know if this is correct and and whatever, but this is one interpretation of the election. Polite society, people who who potentially vote Republican, potentially vote Democrat, were scared enough of the fringes of the left side of the Democratic Party that they voted for, you know, they may have voted for Biden and, and down ticket Republicans or something like that. Or, or they may have voted for Trump 
and and even though they did mm -hmm. not like him um and that is why you know we we saw a, a better performance from republicans than we would have expected depending on the polls again that's one interpretation <clears throat> Now, what is the left to do with that? <laughs> like, yeah. uh, there's a lot of pushback. Well, no, it wasn't that. I don't know if there's enough evidence to suggest that it wasn't that. I mean, I again, anecdotally, I personally know people who are who are who would vote for Democrats or who might consider voting for Democrats, but who are maybe a little more freaked out by the the extremes of the Democratic Party, the people who want you know a lot of redistribution of wealth. Uh, that kind of thing. Um, like, I don't see a huge role for the left in the way that they would like in the Biden administration. Um, because I think, like a lot of these fights, we tend to see them crystallize well after they're actually over <laughs> and then ask, what are we going to do about them? Uh, I think the fight, you know, just like with the Supreme, just like with the Supreme Court, uh, the fight was really the 2016 election. Uh, just like here, the fight for the left was really the 2020 election, um, and they lost, and they were beaten pretty decisively by the mo by the basically the right, the moderate to right wing of the Democratic Party. I think it is a leaderless movement, um, but I think the most they could do is sort of pick up. The They're not going to get overall leftist policies. Like I, I don't even know. Like we're not going to get Medicare for all under a Biden administration. Um, yeah. I don't think so. Um, you know, most of the people. Uh, we didn't bring her up, but Biden's pick for the head of the OMDB has been pretty serious about not being for Medi Medicare for all and being for instead for a robust public option, which again is not a bad thing necessarily, but it's not the po leftist policy that people want. Um, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think that the battle, battle is already kind of lost for the left uh, and that you're mostly going to get table scraps for lack of a better word. Now that's not, that's not to say, well, then both sides, both sides are terrible because, I mean, clearly, as we've talked about for the last 20 minutes, that's that's bullshit. <laughs> and, and as we've talked about repeatedly on this podcast, that's bullshit. Even if the Democrats are not giving you the policies you want to sit to say that it's both sides is to ignore, you know, the entire court system. Uh, it's to ignore mm -hmm. a lot of stuff. So. Uh, that a long way of saying, I don't think the left is going to have much of a a voice. Uh, yeah, as it stands now, the left should only think about the long term because I don't think there's anything that they're going to particularly gain in the short term. I mean, maybe in 2022, there's going to be some house races where you're going to see an an AOC like story, perhaps. But um, I think in terms of them being a sizable. Um, part of the Democratic caucus uh, going forward. I don't think that's going to be the case for, for a while. Um, but I do think they need to think about how they want to be a greater force in the future, because I do feel like while the Bernie Sanders strategy um, worked in some senses, because we never thought, especially back in 2016, that his candidacy was going to end up being so popular. And, it, you know, he, he gave Hillary Clinton a, a very strong fight. And he started off this primary by winning uh, several key races where at some point we thought he, he might actually be the front runner. But we also kind of just saw that this has limitations. Um, it, it seems like this can only get like the only time he had a chance was when the party, uh, the, the moderate wing of the party was completely splintered between like 
four or five different moderate candidates. And as soon as they coalesced around Joe Biden, it was over. So they need to think about that, that at this point, they seem to be only a, be able to win around 25 to 30 percent of the party. Uh, maybe they, if we ever got to the general, there, there would be some people that would normally vote Republican that, that find some appeal, but we don't know that yet. And until they get to that point, we're, we're not going to find out. So I feel like they need to rethink. Too. That, that, that yeah. would be the theory. But again, untested, didn't work in the didn't seem yeah. to work in the primaries for sure. That's the thing, like the non-voter thing, like it needs to work in the primary first before we can even test it out in the in the general election. Like the they did they Bernie Sanders did not get those magical like new set of voters that were going to turn things around in the primary. I, I, so I have trouble believing he would in the general, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know. like I said untested. I what I do agree. feel yeah, what I feel do feel is, is somewhat tested is that I think Overly host- being overly critical and perhaps even hostile of the moderate wing probably has negative effects going. And maybe you disagree, Daniel, but uh, or Sam, but I feel like it has some negative effects in the short term. And I feel like there are members of the party, like specifically AOC, that kind of recognize this because I think she's a little bit better than Bernie uh, or Omar in terms of kind of reconciling with the moderate wing and 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 still being critical but also being like hey sometimes we need to do harm reduction sometimes we need to reconcile and and meet in the middle with with the moderate uh, democrats and at some point hopefully they'll be okay with with us taking a higher leadership role whether that's that will happen or not you know i'm i'm not uh, i can't predict the future but i think they need to rethink the Bernie strategy because it got them far, but it's not going to get them to where they want to be. So are you thinking that it's going to run again? Like, no, no, Bernie's not going to, like, he's not going to, he's not going to be the future of the left. Like uh, maybe he will be the, the quote unquote standard bearer the next two years. He's he's still Senator, right? Like he's still a prominent figure in, in the party. I mean, he's an independent, but he's, he's part of the democratic party, but, um, I'm just saying, like going forward, looking at the new blood, I think that they they need to kind of be able to to see more um, appealing towards moderate Republicans and and not think that they're going to brute force their way with new new set of voters. I think they need to win some moderate voters, and, and they need to get a way to 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 make these moderates not so scared of them because some of them are. I think I think they. And some of them are like, let's face it, like the Democratic Party is a diverse party. There's a lot of Democrats that are rich, right? Like like they make well over half a million dollars annually and they still vote Democrat. And it's not a few of them. There's a lot of suburban Democratic voters. There's there's a lot of fairly conservative Democratic voters. Um, there's still some anti-abortion uh, Democratic voters. Like they yeah. exist. Uh, and they're, they're a real part of this party. And until you find a way to win those out, you can't kind of just wish for new voters to come or young voters to come and, and save the day. I think it starts now. Like it starts with kind of, it, it's going to be a very hard um, a juggling act between being critical of the Biden administration, uh, but not coming off as, as if you're just another party altogether that's, that's going against the Democratic Party. Like there has to be some sort of the other another theory of this election, which I think again, I don't think these theories necessarily have to be mutually exclusive per se, but another theory of this election is that 
the reason Democrats may have gotten washed is that they did not do anything to sort of differentiate themselves from the Republicans other than say, well, we're not Donald Trump. <laughs> and and yeah. in terms of policy, they didn't push any policies that were significantly different other than pre-existing conditions, which again, the Republicans lied and said they agreed with, um, and the public option. Um, and really, I'm not sure there was much else. Um, even, uh, even in terms of just cash transfers, I mean, remember, Republicans had just done a massive check-sending program. Massive in the American context. It was actually pretty pathetic. But in the American context, <laughs> everybody in the country getting a check was pretty unusual, I think. Uh, yeah. So my, my point being that uh, it's possible that Democrats got washed because they did not differentiate themselves for Republic enough from Republicans, and people concluded, "Well, why change horses in a in midstream?" And I think that not that that would say, "Well, then left the left would do better," but it is saying that more sort of concrete policy. And I think part of this is the the relief package uh, that we're talking about because they did have a they did have the Hero Act, which they passed in in you know like June or something. Um, but they, I would not say they ran fairly robustly on that uh, act. So I, I think that is another argument. I think maybe you know, a certain even right leaning independents might might lean towards that. You know, they say Democrats say talk a big game about well they're going to end COVID or whatever. But do they really come up with the sort of when it comes down to it? I mean, if they're not offering. The sort of concrete policy proposals, then why would you give it to them? You know, yeah. Uh, that that is another argument, and that comes from a place of people who who see the parties as much more maybe oh they're both evil or oh they're both fine. It's probably oh no, they're both evil than oh no, they're both fine. But but uh, yeah, that's a so so that again, and they're not mutually exclusive. But that would suggest that the Democrats should uh not again not necessarily adopt like a whole slate of leftist policies but maybe adopt some more concrete proposals that they can run on cuz like thinking back i mean other than pre-existing conditions and a public option i can't think of a a single policy that biden ran on but uh you know that's the other, that's the other story and that, again it's not suggesting that they should go further left but i think to the extent that they they sort of uh stay in the middle and don't really do things that impact a lot of people's lives. They're not, they're going to be very disappointed in the electoral results. And that's another way of saying, I think that Biden's best strategy and one that Republicans will stop him from doing is just to dump as much money into the economy as, as possible. <laughs> and I, yeah. I don't think he's going to do that. I think he's going to be disinclined to do that. I think there are certain deficit hawks in the Democratic Party who are going to be disinclined to do that. Um, and because Mitch McConnell will act as a bulwark against anything like that, uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I do think for electoral purposes, because so many people are suffering, I do think sending checks, literally just sending checks would be would be a huge boon. Um, because I do feel like people in 2020 lose lose track of the idea that Democrats are for the people and Republicans are for businesses because it, because there is a narrative that, Oh, well, Democrats are for 
big corporations and Republicans are for the little small businesses and uh, corporate liberals and warmongers. Exactly. Um, yeah. And corporate liberals. And then, and then, you know, you get a lot of things that confirm these narratives in people's minds. You know, cities will shut down all the small businesses and and be very aggressive, but then they'll allow big, big box stores to, to kind of get away with, with bending yeah. the rules in ways they wouldn't let small businesses bend the rules. So people look at that and they're like, well, I mean, the Democrats don't care about me. They care about these big corporations doing well. They want to destroy me. <laughs> um, of course, it's it's insane. Uh, but these kind of things do, do uh, you know, when people's lives are being taken apart, they tend to believe. Like how to combine the powers of the Democratic Party to where they're unified. I think we need someone in the future who will actually be not a moderate candidate, but someone who could appeal. Like someone will have maybe leftist ideas, but appeal to the to the moderate side of the Democratic Party. And without that... That was supposed to be Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, but she, I don't think, did she really appeal to moderate voters, though? Well, but that was her play, I think. That was that, that she was going to be the, the liberal or the um, far more progressive candidate that's still establishment, that still knows how to work together with Democrats, that can still kind of pass her, her plan. So, you know, she, she was a person with a plan. But it didn't work. I mean, her candidacy was a, was a failed candidacy. Um, so it's... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if there's any easy answers because I think you're right, Daniel. I mean, it, it, this is one of those um, places where I will kind of both sides the situation uh, because I think it cuts both ways. Like, I think there are things that moderate republic, or I'm sorry, moderate Democrats. I just confused Republicans and Democrats there. Mm -hmm. uh, moderate Democrats need to need to kind of learn from this election that they need to differentiate themselves. They need to be a little bolder. Like Republicans have no uh, problem being bold. Like a, a Republican president ran on building a damn wall between Mexico and the United States, which never really actually happened in the way he said it was going to happen. But it was still this dumb, bold plan that somehow appealed to people. So why can't we be a little bolder and say, you know what? Yeah, free college. Who cares? Like, here's yeah, we're going to give you we're going to send you a thousand dollars a month during this pandemic because you need it. Uh, we're going to have more robust unemployment. Uh, we're going to look a little bit more into Medicare for all because other countries have it and it's worked just fine with them. Uh, so yeah, I would love that too. Like I, I, I'm still a leftist at the end of the day. I'm not saying the left should just bend the knee and just accept all these moderate proposals. I, I think both sides need to work on their PR a little bit because I think it's, I, I, I really do believe that American people would would be okay with, with better healthcare or perhaps Medicare for all. They'd be okay with far more affordable college or perhaps free universities. Um, they, they like a lot of leftist ideas. They, even when you reward defund the police to like, uh, to, uh, take more money from police departments and give it to social workers or, or, or uh, social areas, like it gets far more popular support, which I think was what Obama was getting at. But I still want to defund the police, right? Like, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Like, I, I, I do think the Democratic Party has a problem in the sense that their ideas are popular, but somehow they're not, or they're not as popular as they should be. Do you think the majority of the moderate are the moderate party of the Democratic Party is older than the leftist wing of the party? Probably. Because yeah. if they're, are they about the same? No, no they're I'm, I'm assuming you know, they're older, yeah. So, 
all you gotta wait for is like we just gotta wait. No, um, for them to die. I think we need Beto O'Rourke, like one hundred percent. I think Beto O'Rourke needs to try with the Senate again. I know you guys are. I don't know if you're cringing or not, but you think the guy that's gonna reunite unite the party is Beto O'Rourke? But he didn't do it the first time when he ran for president. I mean, he barely got any. Support. Yeah. I, I think I, I think if anything, he needs to think smaller now. You know, maybe run for mayor of El Paso in the future. I don't know, but I, I think he needs to kind of. Poor Beto had a great shot, but then he started. Oh, this is and this might get me dinged on friendly reminder, but he he started going full gun confiscation, which is a thing I agree with, but not a thing that's going to get you elected president or. Get you elected senator yeah. in Texas. It's <laughs> a bad. Saying. It was a bad political move, and I don't uh, think he can. Rec- definitely, like statewide, I don't think he can recover from that. And I don't know. I just don't see a path for him for ever to be a leader in the in the Democratic Party. Like maybe if he had helped Biden win Texas, um, that would have been something. But Biden did not win Texas. He lost it Ooh. by still less than you know previous candidates but he lost it by like 5.6 percent which was way nowhere near as close as i thought it was going to be and a lot of people thought it was going to be um so i i don't know i i the thing is like the moderates have already picked the successor right like it's kamala harris like she is going to be so like i don't know like i I don't think there's going to be a lot of soul searching when it comes to the moderate wing of the party i think it's the leftists that need to kind of find out who's going to be the face going going forward you think one of the squad runs for president or can they are they old enough to uh, aoc is not but, but there are five congresswomen are very uh leftist progressives and one of them is alexandria alexandria ocasio cortez oh, oh, aoc her. so yes i hope you do <laughs> um she she's from yeah yeah so um I don't know. I, I think she could be maybe a, a face of, of the leftist wing going forward. But yeah, she's not going to be eligible to run for president for a very long time. And even then, she probably would want to win like a statewide seat at some point. Yeah. If she could. Uh, I don't know. What do you guys like just if, in the sense of the podcast, like going forward now that we're not going to have our dear friend Donald Trump to kind of lambast week in and week out? Um in terms of politics, how how do you foresee the way we analyze Biden going forward? Because I want to be like, I'm going to be transparent. I'm a little like concerned about myself because I am rooting for Joe Biden. Uh, you know, I want him to succeed. You all, I, I know that's like a very typical thing to say about a president. Like we want him to succeed because if he succeeds, America succeeds, obviously. But, you know, I'm hoping he's a popular president. I'm hoping he listens to his constituents. I'm hoping that he puts Kamala Harris in a good position to win in 2024. Um, but I also, I don't want to fall into like the the trappings of making excuses for him or not being critical where I should be critical because I do think I did do that with Obama during his presidency. Like I felt to criticize him. Obviously I didn't have this podcast, but just as an individual, like I, I felt like I'd made excuses for him when it came to not doing enough for healthcare. Um, hindsight is 2020. It's, he's at the time, it was still kind of like the most liberal proposal when it comes to healthcare in decades. But Looking back, we realize that it's kind of a Nixonian proposal that was proposed by the Heritage Foundation back in the 70s. So more more could have been done on that end. You know, I didn't criticize that much uh, his uh, his foreign policy or the drone strikes or, or his Syria policy. 
So I kind of want to grow from that and learn to be a little bit more critical. But oh yeah, I think it will. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be like, uh, Gus. Joe Biden's gonna start a war, and you're gonna be like, you shoeless fucking yeah. hippie. What are you even talking about? <laughs> I think. I think it'll be a good balance. I don't think we're gonna let uh, Uncle Joe get away with too much. And I also, I think at least, I think we are very clear eyed about what the Republican Party is now, and that the only way forward is going to be improving the democratic party and yeah. not <laughs> or, or wholesale changing the republican party because you're not going to get i'm never going to turn into oh like you, you, joe biden is just as bad as the republicans yeah. are uh because it's just flawed it's my understanding that last week you guys kind of had like a conversation about discourse and like trying to talk to your trump supporting friends or family members uh, to kind of just to see them through and uh, hopefully just have a com uh, productive conversation with them. I I'm not too concerned about that. Mm -hmm. Like I, I <laughs> like maybe when they stop living in La La Land or the Fox News cinematic universe where reality just doesn't exist, I'll be more interested. But mm -hmm. in the meantime, like if we are talking about discourse, I think the only time it's going to be particularly productive is with those moderate Democrats, because at the very least, while we disagree on things, it seems like they understand reality like they a little bit like they kind of know what's what a pandemic is and 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 what science is and what medicine is and what uh voting is and what democracy is you know they they seem to have somewhat of an understanding when it comes to that and we're gonna have to have some reconciliation within the party because i feel like we're all just kind of it's this very uneasy coalition and everybody's just holding hands with people that we don't entirely trust and we're just moving forward because the other side is crazy it's they're just nuts. I, I don't know if you guys saw that Jim Jordan tweet earlier today where he says like, oh, Anthony Fauci is saying we shouldn't travel. What What is he going to cancel next? Saying Merry Christmas. And I'm like, that. that's the like, it's insane. Like, it's insanity. There's no reconciling with that. There's no agreement with that. There's no middle ground because the middle ground is like hell <laughs> and you don't want to be there. Um, so <sighs> the moderate wing is all that's left. I think before Donald Trump, we knew that there was like a very scary right wing fringe of the Republican Party and like kind of like led by or at least personified by like Sarah Palin and whatnot. But like that's they're not a fringe or they're not a wing of the party now. They are yeah. the party like they are the entire party now. And yeah. I just don't know how you communicate with <laughs> with that anymore. Like. I think I think the the it's it's only looking towards the middle to to try to find some reconciliation. Well, let's get to the COVID stuff because, uh, as I mentioned many times in this podcast, uh, COVID nineteen is still a threat, and not only is it a threat, it's like a bigger threat than it's ever been before. Um, in the last four days, ten thousand Americans have been um, declared dead because of the virus. Uh, I There was a grim jobs report that came out on Friday where somewhere around 220,000 jobs were at it, but it was like well below economists' expectations. They thought at least 200,000 more jobs than that would be at it, which just means that it looks like the recovery, the, the post-COVID recovery, job recovery at the very least, has come to a halt. Uh, and over Thanksgiving weekend, <laughs> people traveled and mass. It was the most uh, people have traveled since March, since pre-COVID. And, you know, experts are fearing that this could lead to 
a even greater increase of cases. We're we're like over two hundred thousand cases a, a day, over two thousand deaths. You even uh, I believe on Wednesday it was over three thousand Americans that that uh, were declared dead because of the virus. So it's it's a very scary situation. I mean, I just think about like. 10,000 people died in four days, or at least were, 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 uh, deaths were declared in four days. Like, if a terrorist attack killed 10,000 Americans in four days, like, we'd be paralyzed. We wouldn't leave our houses. Like, we wouldn't dare go anywhere. We, we would be afraid. And somehow, like, we're just numb to this because it's been going on for so long. I think I, I, think I said it last time, but I'm going to say it again. Americans, they just... They just like as individuals, we don't really care about the, the 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 community as much as other countries do. And I think people are like, I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to get you know COVID. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very American problem. Like, I don't think it's just like a Trump problem or a Republican problem. Um, you know, just I don't want to say too much or give out too much details, but I was very disappointed to find out that some of my family members, not, not from my immediate family, but some of my family members uh, decided to travel uh, for Thanksgiving to visit my my aunt who just fairly recently recovered from a very scary cancer related surgery and is not in a position to be able to get this this very contagious virus. Um and still they took those those risks uh, and these are not trump supporters right like these are these they all voted for biden they uh, from what i know they're all pretty progressive but they feel like it's the holidays and we have to get together as a family like we always do uh, which i think is insanity like these are these are the little sacrifices that we should be able to make to help the healthcare workers across the nation with this incredible burden that that they're facing right now you know I, i'm thinking about the vaccine and and the progress that we made there and it looks like by december 21st we might or around late december we, we we might be able to get healthcare workers and uh residents of of long-term health uh healthcare facility facilities like nursing homes uh, they might be able to get vaccinated by the end of the year and i'm just thinking like this took a year like the, we got this vaccine in record time fa way faster than we thought and we, if we had just done the right things and if we had something resembling leadership to get us through this and just get us through this year, how many lives could we have saved? You know, if we were just something like Canada that was not perfect, but we probably would have saved over 100,000 lives if, if we had just followed their, their lead. But we didn't. We, we, we said we were America. We said that this doesn't affect us. And we showed an incredible amount of incompetency. When you're saying leadership... Like, let's say Trump was never elected. I think Fox would have still been like, no masks, no masks. It's like, you know, like half the country would probably still not be taking, like, not be taking this very seriously. I don't think it's just Trump that's, that didn't, I mean, he didn't, we would have been a country that was on the, I don't know what the word is, but on the outside of, of what other countries were doing. Well, I mean, I partially, I, I, I partially agree and partially disagree. I agree with that. That's why I said it was, it was an American problem, right? I think, I think there is something in, in our lifestyle, in our id, and in, in, in the way we, we, we grow up in, in our culture that led us to not take this as seriously as we could. But I also think leadership matters. 
and government matters. And the fact of the matter is we elected somebody that doesn't believe in any of that, uh, that's in it for himself and, and, and is a grifter and doesn't really care about the the, the, the lives of, of the uh, American population. Uh, and we see we see that manifest itself with the way we, uh, we responded to this pandemic. I think if Obama was president, we would have been in a better situation. I think if Hillary Clinton was president, we would have been in a better situation. I don't think we would have been like amazing. We probably still maybe maybe have had 60,000, 80,000 Americans die because of this, but we wouldn't be in this kind of a mess. This this was Mitt, I think Mitt yeah. Romney as president would have done a better job. Jeb Bush as president would have done a much better job. I don't even think it's a question. Yeah, I agree. Like because you're right, I think that I think telling people to wear masks and yeah, I think it might have been turned into a po- political issue, but at this point what you have at this point, what you have, and I'm going to do a little both sides-ishness here, you have uncontrolled spread in all 50 states. You have neither party really wanting to step up and say, hey, guys, if we really want to end this, we have to pay people to stay home. <laughs> That's what every other country, every other civilized country did that. And neither party wants to be wants to say that now uh, because it's too extreme. Yeah. Um now, what, what, how would it have been different if Hillary had been president or if Romney or if Jeb Bush? I really do think we would have taken a more bipartisan approach to the idea of, well, we have to f- defeat the virus and save the economy. It's a counterfactual. I don't know what actually would have happened, but I know that one side basically said, herd immunity, herd immunity. And the other side basically said, well, no, wear masks, but also keep going to your job. I don't know if the other side said that specifically, but they they certainly the government didn't do anything to make it a lot easier for people yeah. to stay home and stop the spread. They basically said, we need to stop the spread. Uh, stay home. But, you know, if you need money, then, you know, you're just going to have to yeah. go to your job. <laughs> um, that uh, that's not anything we have. We now have uncontrolled spread in all 50 states. Uh, and what really infuriates me is I tune into conservative media conservative podcasts and they're like well what what is biden and and, you know i just kind of said this so so maybe hit me for being a hypocrite too but biden's not proposing to do anything different than trump is which is first of all that's factually incorrect second of all it 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 i know exactly what's going to happen i know exactly what's going to happen because there's been uncontrolled spread and this is a disease and uncontrolled spread is something that once there's uncontrolled spread, the it's in the name of the, it's in the term uncontrolled spread. You're not going to be able to stop it. But the moment Biden is president, they're going to be like, well, why isn't Joe Biden able to stop it? I thought he was going to use science and stuff. Well, I guess nobody could do any better as if it wasn't the Republican strategy to create uncontrolled spread for the, for the last six months or the last 10 months. Uh, it's, it's a willful reimagining. Of, of what happened over the last year. Um, uncontrolled spread, her, herd immunity, those were Republican policies for the last year. Uh, now they're trying to pretend it wasn't. Uh, look at any country that didn't adopt this sort of Western chauvinist individualism, uh, a country that immediately implemented top-down testing and tracing programs and quarantine programs, targeted shutdowns, things, things that... Uh, were dead obvious from the beginning, but Republicans did not do. Now they're going to say those same things that Joe Biden probably would have implemented early on because they're not going to save us all now because, again, there's uncontrolled spread. Well, Biden didn't know anything different. Uh, it, it's, it, 
I, I'm like preemptively getting mm. frustrated at the, at the narrative that's going to come out about Biden. And I, I would also like to point out, like, we're, we do this a lot. We, we're like, oh, 9-11, we compare it to 9-11. But one thing I, 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 I observed the other day is that uh, Chernobyl uh, miniseries on HBO came out a couple of years ago. And the big talking point about that series was, wow, look how shitty communism <laughs> is. <laughs> it killed all these people by not dealing with this disaster in an honest and scientifically sound way. <laughs> Um, and guess what? Chernobyl killed 50 people <laughs> uh, immediately. Uh, estimates put the the total number of people killed over the course of several of decades at around, uh, you know, there's different estimates, but some of them go as high as 16,000 people, um, also known as half the number of people who died in the last four days yeah. from COVID. So <laughs> I, I do think it's deeply ironic that we look at this, that we've spent, you know, Chernobyl is this symbol of the failures of the soviet system and we're literally having a chernobyl every three days in america and shrug that's the plan just a bunch of chernobyls over and over again that's just the way it is and this is the winning system this is the good system uh and the communist system was the bad system um that uh it's it's absolutely absurd now biden gets to go into this <laughs> needs to go get it needs to go into this halfway through this disaster that republicans have allowed to fester and he's supposed to solve this uh, by being and he's totally hamstrung and he's going probably going to be hamstrung in the senate he's hamstrung by his own policies moderation because they're probably not going to just dump money on it like they need to they not pay just send people checks to stay home so i don't really know what they're gonna do uh, wouldn't it be nice if we like began um a democratic term or like the, the the administration a democratic administration began not having to clean up a giant mess that the republic that the previous republican administration left over because that's literally what's happening twice yeah. now obama had to come in and we were in a, we yep. were a, a massive stock market crash we're going into deep recession and somehow he had to fix it in six months or he's a failure and then republicans get to be like well see he didn't get to fix the mess good elect us and we'll, we'll take care of it even though they're the ones that caused the mess and they're going to do the exact same thing right now they're, they're going to set the expectations for joe biden to clean this up immediately and as you mentioned daniel if he doesn't then it's going to amount to the whole being like how oh, is he any different than trump why don't you elect back uh, us and and we'll give you back your freedoms or whatever like it's yeah not only that the left is going to hit him the same way they're going to say oh he's no bad the democrats are no better than republicans look everybody's still dying and it is it is disasters caused by republicans the financial crisis <laughs> uh, bill clinton didn't leave george bush with like uh, uh, he left him with a budget surplus and a massive, robust economy. Obama left Trump with a good e economy, like yeah, which Trump immediately took credit for. Oh, bad, and we we're gonna keep electing these fuckers. Like in in four or eight years, like we're gonna have President Tom Cotton. Oh God, damn it! I don't. I shouldn't even <laughs> think about that. <laughs> It, it, it makes me think about, like, it makes me rethink America because I was reading a political article about um, how South Koreans, who historically speaking had great admiration about United, the United States as a country, um, over the last four years, like their, uh, their perspective or their view of the United States um, has fallen or has become far more negative than, um, than before. 
and and you know because of the Trump administration and and specifically because of their uh, of our response to the pandemic situation, and it, it just kind of mirrors my own thoughts because honestly, like I was proud to be an American. You know, I'm a first generation Mexican American. Like I, my family came to this country. I was born here. I, I learned this language. I even majored in this stupid language. I, uh, I'm talking about English. I. I really embraced American culture. I Americans, I love your stupid Star Wars movies, except the bad ones. Um, you know, I love I loved American culture. Uh, I love football. I love basketball. Like all those things. I love barbecue and freedom. But yeah, how, sorry, <laughs> and beer. Um, and but how can you possibly like with a straight face still say that America is the greatest country in the world after this? Like, is that even a believable argument? Like, I can't say it with a straight face. Like, I don't believe it anymore. And I don't want to get all newsroomy and then bring back that scene here. But, like, it's it, it just isn't anymore. Like, we and the first step is kind of realizing that, that we're, we're not this great country. We're, we, we have, like, a big, a giant military. And that's it. We don't have the best health care. We don't have the best educational system. And we certainly don't have a government, at least right now, that can actually help people when they're truly in dire need of it. At some point, I would like to do a, a deeper dive into American exceptionalism and why, whether it's justified, it's to what extent it's justified and to what extent it's been kind of a, a bit of an illusion based on our, based on very real shared prosperity. I mean, look, we're a very rich country uh, on average. <laughs> and we are very, we have a lot of real estate, a lot of empty space. And to a certain extent, that has acted as sort of a pressure valve on America uh, where we can sort of move into this new land, move into this frontier place uh, as things get more difficult. Uh, now, of course, that that glosses over the genocide of Native Americans and uh, the ethnic cleansing of Hispanic Americans from the Western part of America. Um, but my point in saying all this is when you really get down into the history, it's kind of sad how much of American exceptionalism is just the fact that we are very wealthy because we did a better job stealing from <laughs> from from uh others uh early on now now that that isn't to say i don't think that there's anything to the idea of american exceptionalism and the idealism of america and it having positive influence i would just say at the moment we are at the very bottom of that <laughs> we are at the nadir of that influence uh very justifiably because we elected a moron um and half the country believes in utter nonsense and is locked into believing that utter nonsense. And I don't think we're going to get to anything close to, you know, I don't think American exceptionalism ever existed. I think something like American exceptionalism existed. Let's call it America idealism, American idealism. I don't think we're even going to get there until we have a very serious discussion about uh, the Republican party and their inability and failure to embrace uh, anything resembling uh, actual American idealism, and and they're really they're embracing of of basically American just the worst of American history, like pra uh, praising how we defeated the Native Americans, uh, pra praising the Confederacy, and how great that was. <laughs> more like American escapism, am I yes, right? More like American escapism. Yeah, I agree. 
that's something that we'll revisit soon. Daniel, you wanted to talk a little bit about the stimulus bill that's being uh, proposed right now in the Senate, which looks like it's getting the backing of Pelosi and Schumer, as well as Joe Biden. My understanding is there's there's three bills. There's the, well, I guess there's four bills if you count the HEROES Act that the House passed and has been sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk. That's unlikely to go anywhere. Then there's the bipartisan bill right now, which is, this is the one that's passed the House, I believe, uh, and is in the Senate. And guess, correct me if I'm wrong, because you may know more about this than I do, but that does not contain any cash transfers to individuals. Uh which is unfortunate, which is something that Democrats fought for. But I think there's a... No, no, you're right. It doesn't include cash any, any direct yeah, cash. Yeah, and it also yeah. includes a, I believe, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, it also includes a liability shield, or at least a temporary liability shield for companies, or I don't know if it's only corporations, but companies, so that their employers can't sue them if they die of COVID or get hurt from COVID while they're on the job, uh, which is a controversial thing. I think it's a it's a temporary liability shield. But th this is a very like this is a bipartisan bill in that sense. Like it is, it, and I think there's a lot of people hitting uh, Nancy Pelosi for endorsing this, um, and people hitting her from the right and from the left, basically saying, "Well, she doesn't really care about working people because she didn't. She refused to pass a bigger bill uh, in order to prevent Trump from being reelected." Uh, there, there's a whole like game theory argument about this i at first i was like oh nancy pelosi why would you do this but actually hearing her justification and hearing her speak about it i i think it it makes a little bit more sense and gus i don't know if you want to expand on that a bit because i think the way you explained it was very clear to me well i believe the the theory or, or how she is explaining it is that before the election she wasn't accepting that um i, I want to say i could be wrong but it was like around 1.8 trillion dollar proposal that was proposed by the and the uh, Trump administration, uh, because it wasn't big enough. They, they were looking at something more around $3 trillion, um, to be able to provide adequate COVID relief during this, this pandemic. Um, her theory is at the time, we were not going to, we don't know who was going to be president. So it was basically a go big or go home. Like it, it, we, it, it, it's possible that if Trump wins re-election, they were never going to get another go at it. So they, they needed to do something big now. Oh, Gus, can I just, pop it strategically that does seem like a a good position to take uh because it sort of puts the burden on the republicans and trump to push this through because it will help trump with his re-election right. no republicans weren't able to get their shit together <laughs> and pass it and i think that if you know america got checks from donald trump right before the election i think probably he would have won again so um Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. No, that's okay. That's a good point. So the, the theory is now that we know that Joe Biden is going to be president. It's perfectly okay to accept a smaller bill now uh, during this lame duck session, knowing that Joe Biden is going to back further legislation starting in the new year when he's inaugurated as the next president of the United States. So that's her stance. I'm I don't know. What do you think, Daniel? Do you do you buy it? I well, so so the counter argument is, or the very critical argument is, Nancy Pelosi, you were playing politics with people's lives. You purposefully held off this this bill that could have helped people because you said it was too small. Now you're totally accepting something even smaller uh, 
because you know because Biden already won and we don't have to worry about the re-election. We don't have to worry about the election. And uh, this proves Democrats don't really care about working people. They just use them as a, a political bludgeon. Um, and the proof is you could have passed this months ago, but you let working people squander. And now you're passing it because you know that it won't help Trump win a re-election. That's the, that's the political argument. Even as I'm articulating it, I don't know if it makes total sense because – Again, we're in a different spot than we were before the election, right? No, I mean it does it does make some like I do partially understand Pelosi's strategy because she is right in the sense that if we accept something smaller than what we should uh and then Trump gets reelected, it's very possible that with with a with a, a Republican Senate majority that that's it. You know, that you're never going to get any more relief and and usually these kinds of things only only have an effect for about four or five months before the money runs out and there is no more help and the pandemic especially with the trump administration was still going to keep going you know because it's going to take a while for the vaccine to actually uh resolve not resolve things but at least make them significantly better and it's never going to be like we're never going to live in a pre-covid world again this is going to be part of our lives in some way or another and if it was another trump administration it would have been four more years of mishandling this this pandemic which probably been four more years of economic suffering but i think my belief my sincere belief is that i think she she miscalculated I think she felt like she could hold, I think she did play some politics, but in the sense that she felt like the, pe the American people were going to believe that the Republicans just aren't thinking big enough for them and that that's going to lead to more Democrats winning the House and to, for a, a Democratic Senate majority. And then, then, you know, they can pass a bill even bigger than, than what was originally proposed, or at least as big as the, as the HEROES Act. Um, that didn't happen. So I, uh, like... It makes sense to accept something now, regardless, because that's just reality. Like, this is a lame duck session, but I think there was some miscalculation on her part. That's that's my sincere belief, and I think she's kind of just – obviously, she's not going to say that. Yeah, I tend to agree. This whole, like, oh, Nancy Pelosi hates working people, maybe. Maybe she does. <laughs> but uh, this is, this does not prove that because it is not, it is not indicative yeah. of that, and I think – as I said before, I think strategically where she was prior to the election was the right place to be. Um, and I think the other twist in this is the Georgia election, which if Republicans win, Democrats are going to be SOL for the next, uh, I don't know, two years in passing anything meaningful. Yeah. Um, because I think Mitch McConnell's plan, like we don't even know if this bipartisan plan is going to pass. Uh, Mitch McConnell's plan is much worse than this one or does he even have a plan i believe he's back like a skinny COVID relief bill to like kind of put it in in the next budget or something like that but yeah it's yeah it, it only fights skinny COVID, not regular COVID. yeah <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah lawsuit protection it, permanent know, we, lawsuit protection for employers yeah there you go yeah. COVID relief now we can all go yeah. back to work yay america we were going to talk a little bit more about the Georgia races, but I want to kind of hold off on that for, for this episode because it is running a little bit long. Uh, and we've talked plenty about politics already. So I wanted to just end it as how we usually try to on a lighter note. Uh, you know, the holidays are coming up. Christmas is coming up specifically. Um, other holidays, Hanukkah, whatever you you prefer what do you believe in uh but it's usually a time for us to get together but 
hopefully, unlike some of my family, hopefully most of us realize that now's not the time and and we stay home. But that doesn't mean we can't at least celebrate it in some sense. And, you know, in the spirit of, of the holidays, uh, think about gifts that we're going to give to to people we love or ourselves. Because, you know, a, a little self-care during this these times goes a long way. So I I want to just ask any if any of you guys have thought of any gifts that you want to you want to give to either yourself or your loved ones. Uh and this is also my excuse to talk about my most recent purchase which is the Xbox Series X which I've now owned for almost a month now. It's uh it's my foray into next generation gaming and I actually can safely say that while I am enjoying it I don't think I would recommend it as a gift to anybody. Just I was going to say, what are the killer killer apps that you've been playing? So that's the thing. There are none. Um, there are no. <laughs> there there is no specific next generation game, uh, and especially no, literally no exclusive game that that you can that you need to get an Xbox Series X for. Otherwise, you can't play it. Everything is available in either a PC or PS5 or even. Uh, current or previous generation consoles um the the killer app for me and the reason i purchased it is because i was running on an old uh, xbox one s which was uh very uh, it was underperforming and and i i'm not a pc gamer unless you're in my very specific situation and you don't have either uh a good gaming PC or a one x even which is was kind of like the halfway console for microsoft I don't see any reason why you should run out and get this this product yet. I'm happy with it, but I just wouldn't recommend it to to anybody unless you're like in the very kind of specific scenario that I am, where you're some weird Mac user that has an old One S or original Xbox One. <laughs> then yeah, go go for it. But other than that, I would probably even recommend the PlayStation Five over it because at least it has some exclusive first party console games i'm not sure how good they are but they look pretty good and but good luck getting one <laughs> i mean they're <laughs> they're almost impossible to find are the are the xboxes harder hard to find also they're a lot suck i think like i even tried getting one for myself thinking oh, i'll just get one right now it'll be available it wasn't available oh yeah, I, I think they're both pretty much sold out right now. It's pretty difficult to get it. Um, I had a really tough time pre-ordering mine. Um, like when when the pre-orders came out, like Amazon went down, um, Microsoft's webpage went down. Yeah, like the actual website went down. <laughs> like, um, so uh, it was it was a mess. But luckily, I was able to pre-order it. I'm happy with it. But again, I would give it another year before even the PS5. Like even though it has some console exclusives, I would still say for most, you can wait a year. You don't have to rush out. But I do want to talk about what I think would be a product that I would either get for myself or for a loved one. I do not own this product, full transparency. It's just based on reviews. But I don't know if you guys have read about Apple's new MacBook Air and MacBook Pro. Yeah. Any of you familiar yeah, with Yeah, I did a little. I was actually no. doing, well, based on our conversations, actually, guess we, I was doing a little research on it because I was potentially going to get the Air as a Christmas present for 
someone. Yeah. So the main thing, th this MacBook Air is identical to the previous one, or at least the most recent one that has uh, the Intel chip. The only difference is that it has Apple's uh, internal uh, M1 is what they call it chip, which is a it's a system on uh, system on chip, I believe, SOC ARM based uh, chip, very similar to what you have on your iPhone or your iPad. Um, I'm no tech expert, but my understanding is that it's a little bit spruced up compared compared to like the the A14 that's on the most recent iPhone. But you get a lot of those benefits. You first of all, like the MacBook Air is fanless; it doesn't have a fan. Um, and from all reviews that I've read, it's it's like uh, it doesn't have any thermal issues, which which was a big problem in previous uh, Mac uh, MacBook products. Uh, but the main thing, the main benefit is that compared to the Intel Macs, at least, a performance has been um, incredibly improved. Uh, the benchmarks are far superior. In fact, let me. I want to. This is. Um, Nilay Patel, uh, I believe editor-in-chief of The Verge, saying that uh, he had a, a Core i7 MacBook Air maxed out, and he did a benchmark on it for Cinebench, and it got a score of 2,867. Uh, with the new Air, it got a benchmark score, a Cinebench score of 6,803. Now I don't know what that all means, but that's a way bigger number than than two thousand eight hundred and sixty seven. But uh, in layman's terms, it just means that you're just getting far better performance. Now a lot of the there's still a lot of apps that are not native, are not built to to run natively on on this new chip. But apparently, their Rosetta two emulation to to be able to run those apps is is very good. And from all reviews I've seen, all those apps run at least as smoothly as they did with the Intel Macs. Um, and the other improvement is battery life. Apparently you're getting about six, five to six more hours of battery life than the previous MacBooks, which is insane. Like at, at this point, they're quoting like 17 hours of, of battery, like normal use battery life, insane standby battery. If you're not using it, it doesn't just drain. Um, yeah, I mean, I, everything that I've seen, like this is it, and unless you want, Windows specifically, which which I understand, like some people just really love Windows and that's what they want. But uh, either unless you're, but if you're agnostic or you prefer Mac OS, I think this is this is the laptop for the majority of the people to get. And I think you would be okay just getting the base model too. Um, again, maybe you might need the additional storage or or you feel that eight gigabytes is not a lot. It is unified memory and, and every every review I've seen says that they've been fine with the eight gigabytes. But if you want to future proof it and go to the 16, then you could do that. But I think for most people, the base model would be just fine. And I, I don't know if I'm going to get one because I just don't need it specifically. But I think it, I from everything I've read, I have no problem recommending it. You're talking about the Air, right? What about the Pro? The so the pro actually has the same chip. From what I know, the only difference is that it has a fan, so it's it's even better when it comes to thermals. And if you're doing like long term productivity on it, it should like uh withstand it a little bit better. And it also has the touch bar, which from what I know in my experience with it is a negative. I hate that touch bar, like it's 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 a mess. So uh, I would get I would recommend the Air over the Pro, um, unless you really need that kind Thermal. of 
pro productivity. But yeah, but even then, I would say wait until there's like an M2 or whatever 16-inch backbook. I think if you're just using that for like everyday use, um, you know, like either Office or Apple's Office Suite, um, just browsing music, uh, some productivity, some some um, editing, mild editing, you're going to be just fine with the with the M. I think you should get that gift for somebody you love, Daniel. Okay. Myself. It, it gets the the gust stamp of approval. But what about you guys? Is there anything you guys want to to uh, recommend or thinking about uh, getting as a gift for either you or your family? I am definitely a PC gamer. Um, Daniel, you have a P- you have a gaming PC, but you haven't really like done anything gaming PC related in quite like a while, right? Like you haven't. Yeah, my my, my gaming it. PC, yeah, it hasn't been upgraded other than hard drive space since 2014. So it's pretty it's getting okay. up there. So I about a year ago I did upgrade my PC um to all AMD. I, I was Intel for a very long time. But um I just I just wanted to go something different. Um I I'm a huge fan of AMD now. I love everything that they do. And um, I've been wanting to get, I've had a video card for about four years now. It's a 1060. It's not even the best video card that was out there during its time in 2016. But now I want to get, I want, well, I wanted to get the best um, available for, for my new PC. And that best was the AMD RX 6900 XT graphics. But, Pretty much all, like all of the next gen consoles, all of the next gen video cards are pretty much sold out. So, but if I could get it, I would. Um, the cool thing about it is that it has like 16 gigs of of RAM. It's the next generation of video game, or excuse me, gaming um, gaming memory, which is the GDR6. I don't doesn't mean a lot. Of, if you're not a gaming PC person, doesn't mean a lot, but I was really excited about it. I was going to spend a lot of money on this. How much was it? I think last time I checked, it was between 800 and... Well, uh, so let me let me take that back a little bit. So um, it is, like, technically sold out at reliable places. Um, so if you're, like, if you're going for... If you're just going to buy it, no matter how much money, how much money you have, or... Um, Oh, let me rephrase that. If you're just gonna buy it and you don't have any money concerns, you could go there. You go to like a, do a scalper and get it there. But oh, don't do that. Don't help the scalpers. They're terrible well, people. <laughs> let me finish. I wasn't done. Okay. I'll be like, if you're not, then you just gotta wait. And that's that's basically what I'm doing. But you know, if yeah, I'm really excited. I'm really excited for 4k and i will i've been planning on getting on on becoming 4k gaming i was i was also going to get two 500 um monitors that were 4k so now i'm just waiting does your monitor do uh 120 hertz refresh so, rate? uh my one of my monitors actually does 144 oh um another one does 60 the 144 I use for gaming. The 60 I just use for when I'm gaming. I watch stuff because I'm weird like that. 
Um, That's good stuff. I like it. Daniel, what about you? Do you have any recommendations? Also, you also told me you got a new TV, a fancy I house. did. I got a OLED TV, um, the Costco one. It was the wire cutter recommendation over Black Friday, and it was only about 1200 which I think is a pretty good price for the TV. Um, it was a pretty impetuous decision. I didn't really <laughs> do a lot of research like I usually do. I just saw there was a good deal, and I snapped it up. And so far, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. The black levels are really deep. <laughs> I feel weird saying, mm-hmm. but it, it's true. <laughs> um, it's the same. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, as far as gifts, uh, so the MacBook is is one, or sorry, the MacBook Air is one gift I'm considering. Um, I'm also kind of in the market for my own laptop, and I actually pulled the trigger on a Lenovo ThinkPad the other day, which is an unusual think it's a pretty unusual laptop for an individual um but i've had one for work for a while and i really like them so i don't know i might uh end up going so this lenovo is on order so i might end up canceling it and you know you've intrigued me so much about the air i've been thinking getting the air and just getting a windows install and and i know that some people do that and and are fine so I, i you know i'll consider doing that but um well, hold on that because that's actually a negative of the M1 chip. As of as of now, there is still no like boot camp available to be able to run. Oh, Windows, I see. So. Okay. Yeah, hold on. Um, but that yeah, but the yeah, that's true. Well, so what I might end up doing is maybe getting it for uh as a gift, and then maybe seeing how that person likes it. And I I don't know. I'm I'm kind of a, a little up in the air about it. Um. I do want a better laptop. My laptop is, it's a Windows laptop. It's an Asus from about five years ago. It's starting to show its age uh, in terms of the speed and the battery and everything. But um, I I love having something just to kind of kick around, uh, write uh, either for work or for fun, um, watch Netflix, that kind of thing. And it does seem like this Air is a pretty good uh, opportunity. But um, as far as other other presents, I'm not in the market for the next generation consoles at this point. I just don't think there's anything attracting me to them. So I'm not going to be an early adopter um, unless there's just some killer app that people describe that is worth getting. Um, but I don't, you know, I'd, I'd rather wait for the price to drop a little bit. Um, I'm not going to upgrade my gaming. Uh, this is just a list of things I'm not going to do at this point. But I'm not going <laughs> to update my gaming PC because I. I think I'm going to stick with console gaming for a little while because it really has in the last generation, the the um, difference between console and PC gaming has shrunk considerably, not only in the fidelity of the console versions of things, but also just in the, the uh, prices, the price points. One of the, in 2014, when I got into PC gaming, one of the big things was there were constantly steam sales and, and all this stuff that made PC gaming, like a no-brainer because everything was so much cheaper. So even if you're making a big investment on the front end, you're getting games for like, uh, like literally it would be like, oh, this game is on sale for $9.99 here and it's $59.99 on the PlayStation store. Um, those those prices have converged a lot more in the last six years uh, to the point where I'm not sure you really get much of a better deal on PC games now. You, you have all kinds of crazy sales, plus things like Game Pass, PlayStation Plus, uh, make it pretty easy to get get the games uh, 
that you want at, a, at not crazy prices. Um, and the, you know, building a PC was fun when I was, you know, 20 something and, <laughs> and had a lot of time on my hands to, to tweak everything. And every time I installed a new game, I'd have to tweak it like crazy to make sure it was running at its highest frame rate. Um, I don't know. That does not sound particularly appealing to me. Uh, nor does paying $800 for a single graphics card, <laughs> which sounds insane to me. Uh, but I, that, that uh might put i think i'm i might be done with pc gaming at least for the time being uh at this at point in my life um i have plenty i have a big backlog not only of pc games but console games nothing new is is uh attracting me to any of those so i will probably stick to the consoles i have you know switch uh playstation 4 you fucking sell it. Yeah, I'm a seller. <laughs> I mean, I, there's just nothing. There's nothing attracting me to the next generation of games yet, and that's usually how it is. Like, I didn't get into the PS4 generation until a couple, like, se- like you know, four, two, two to three years in, when it was a lot cheaper, and there was already established set of games that I could get for relatively cheap. And that's uh, that's just who I am, I guess. And I just don't have as much time to mess with sort of the bleeding edge, so I can play like. Uh, super graphically hardcore versions of Slay the Spire <laughs> on PS5. I'm just kidding. Uh, that was just a random thing I thought of. But yeah, that, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the wise decision. I don't think um, for most people, there's no real sense in being an early adopter, uh, adapter. Uh, adopter. I can't believe I can't say that word. Um, for example, like right now, the the game that I'm playing the most is uh, on my Xbox Series X is Ori and the Will of the Wisps, which um, may be my game of the year. And I should say, actually, to our listeners, we're planning a year in review um, uh, episode, uh, hopefully in a couple of weeks, uh, where we haven't really decided what the format is. But, you know, 2020 has been a hell of a year, and it deserves a good recap. So <laughs> look forward to that in the near future. Um, but yeah, like it's uh, in regards to Ori, it's like this 2D platformer that I originally started playing back in February in the pre-COVID in the before times, uh, and it ran like garbage on the Xbox One S. Um, and then, like four or five months later, it came out on Switch, and I bought it on that, thinking that my save would transfer over. I don't know why I thought that, but that's not the case. You can't you can't transfer saves. Um, and that actually ran a little bit better. I, I think they patched the the 1S version too, and um, so it probably runs okay now. But on the Series X, it's like it looks beautiful, and it runs perfectly well. And I'm like, finally, I had to buy this $500 console to to run this 2D platformer, it, like to perfection. I did it, Microsoft. You did it. Congratulations. No, uh, it did from the 1S to the to the Xbox Series X, but the Switch is like, yeah, I had to start from scratch. And now I have this Switch save that I'm not going to go back to, and I just spent $30. Like, I wasted $30 on uh. that game. <laughs> Anyways, it's still a great game. I highly recommend it. Uh, I'll talk about it more in our year in review episode. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's what the, the Series X is right now. It's just this console where you can play old games better than ever before. Um, hopefully the new games come soon enough. I mean, isn't that how it usually comes? Like, they bring out this amazing console with all yeah. this cool stuff. Oh, I feel like they usually have a couple of killer apps, right? 
Uh, I mean, I think like Sony's done a better job at the exclusive. I think Microsoft just they're they're moving to this being uh, like their their appeal is selling the service. And yeah, they don't really care what con like they're still going to come up with new consoles, but they're not like dying for consumers to purchase the console. They they really care more about getting the game cat Game Pass subscriptions up. Uh, and it's a great it's a great service. It's a great value. That's another gift. Like if you want to give somebody. Give them uh, a game pass. I'm, I'm thinking about getting as well the the game yeah. pass the PC though. Yeah, highly recommended, uh, and it's it's uh, very very cheap, and you you just get access to a ton of games. All right, folks, let's go ahead and and wrap it up. Uh, it's been a, it's good to be back. It's been a great episode. Sam, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Gus. And to our listeners, I'm glad to be back. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And we'll see you next week for another episode of Friendly Reminder.